Welcome to Books with Bitches. I'm Maria. And I'm Madison. Welcome. And today we are diving into section two of The Silence by Tim Levin. And disclaimer, there might be tears because I cried a lot. Follow us on Instagram. You can DM us there as well. Subscribe to us on Spotify. And if you want to email us, you can email us at bookswithbitches, books, W, bitches, the I is a one, at gmail.com. So I guess how would you rate this section? Definitely a five. Okay. Our first five. <laughs> well, we forgot to do a rating last section and I was like editing it and I was like, fuck. Last section, I gave it four and a half because it was getting there. Okay. About five seconds, five sentence summary. Beginning of summary. Basically, the government of all nations or most nations have said, we don't know how to stop these creatures. Although scientists are working on trying to figure out how they can kill this, these things. And we find that out because Allie has been on her iPad in the car. They're driving and they decide to make a pit stop. And we are met with some unsavory characters that greatly hinders our hero's survival. I don't want to get into it. But anyway, so this whole situation happened. They survived. But Allie and her family are now without a car and have to go find another one. So they all cram into the Land Rover and drive away in search of hopefully a new car. We start to see people questioning moralities. The social contract is completely gone. And there's this idea that it won't happen to me. It'll always happen to someone else. And that idea is slowly disappearing as the vests have made their way into the UK. The group finds a car dealership. They end up managing to tactfully gain a new car. And again, they're hit with roadblocks. So the group decides to go off-roading and we're met with the tragic fate of two characters. All right. So you said five Land Rovers for this review? Yeah. Yeah. I'm going to have to say five out of five too. The world building where I guess the war destruction of the world is done very masterfully. I like how he has Allie kind of like an outside view of the world because she's looking at news articles and stuff because Hugh doesn't want to fucking look at them. And then we also get different points of view at the beginning of each chapter, which is nice because all the different like media outlets and or social media, then we get to see that from different people. You ready for chapter by chapter review? Yeah. Buckle in. This is a very long intro to this chapter. It was, but it does help you gain background knowledge. Here's what we think we know about the creatures popularly known as Vess. Origins. It's believed that they originate from an isolated underground environment exposed by a scientific expedition in Moldova. Footage of the expedition was broadcast live. The initial wave of Vesps was seen emerging from the entrance to the apparently extensive cave system before communications were lost. Dr. Vladimir Krasnov led the team, and it's known that he spent a large portion of his life searching for contained ecosystems. The Moldovan cave was suspected to be not only the largest yet found, but of those, the system cut off from the rest of the world for the longest. Some estimates suggest that the cave had been isolated upwards to 10 million years. Biology. Few specimens have been gathered, but some are under analysis. Initial results are not yet officially published, but it seems that the creatures are cold-blooded flying reptiles. Adults are around 25 centimeters long and weigh less than half a kilogram. Their skin is segmented, pale, soft, and protected with moist secretion. The wings resemble those of a bat, similarly tipped with a spiked digit. They are eyeless and hunt by sound. Sound receptors cover the forward half of their bodies, both traditional ears and more sensitive vibration detectors on the skin's surface. Their mouths are wide and contain over a hundred sharp teeth. Reproduction and lifestyle. Life's Reproduction and life cycle. Can you imagine Vests being like, I am surfing. Sorry, leave me alone. Reproduction and life cycle. The Vests are able to reproduce at any time, laying eggs in their partially eaten prey. The eggs hatch quickly, the young consume their hosts, and will grow with great rapidity. They are vicious, ferocious eaters. They will feed upon any living creature, large or small. We have seen evidence of them eating flies and beetles, as well as attacking fully grown cows and dogs. The young can fly from birth, and within just a single day, they are two-thirds the size of an adult and able to reproduce. 
females appear to outnumber males 10 to 1. Each vesp can lay up to 40 eggs at one time. Projection and conjecture. Proliferation is staggering. Upon being exposed to the environment beyond the cave, it appears that something was triggered in these beasts. A dormant instinct or ability enabling them to reproduce at a stunning rate. Although the caves have not been explored, it is likely that the population below ground would have multiplied so quickly. Due to the lack of space and sustenance, if only a thousand escaped from the cave and started laying eggs immediately, within a day their offspring could number half a million, and a day later tens of millions. Beyond that, the numbers become shocking. Some believe the oxygen risk atmosphere boosted their metabolism, strength, and speed. It is also suggested that the sudden availability of vast amount of food has disrupted the delicate balance of their previous existence. Nothing like them is known to science other than at a microscopic level. Nothing else like them exists in nature. They are an anomaly. We don't know how to stop them. Statement from government scientist, identity withheld by request, London, Friday, 18 November, 2016. They're fucking monsters. Nobody knows what they are or where they came from or where they come from or why they reproduce so quickly. And you know why? Because they're fucking monsters. Don't try to make sense of this. Don't try to see a pattern or blame God or the government. Just BBC Radio Midlands news presenter since removed, 7 p.m. Friday, 18 November 2016. So these things are just definitely monsters. And there's no way to stop them. And like imagine as a child reading this, like you're seeing this develop in front of your own eyes and you can't do anything to stop it and you're deaf and you hear that these or you find that these things are attracted to noise like i would be full of a lot of emotions i think the lack of crying in this book is interesting they do mention a few times in the book though like emotions have to be put aside because it'll attract the vest like loud crying or screaming like you can't do that or else the vests are coming for me i cry a lot unfortunately because <laughs> i'm a very emotional person so that would really suck if i couldn't cry loudly or I'd get mad when i get mad my voice raises so like not being able to talk not being able to do any of that stuff would be very hard for a lot of people you can only keep it bottled away for so long and then at some point you're just gonna crack and then nothing good is gonna happen. But going into chapter 9 after reading that very long explanation of the biology of the Vesps, it got me thinking it's like there has to be some sort of predator for the Vesps or something that like on, how long do they live? Are they like fruit flies where they just die instantly? Because nothing I know has such an insane reproduction rate and not a long life cycle i said lifespan sorry yes lifespan i'm just gonna have to stop doing that yeah. on you, on you. but then i was thinking it's like well if the vesp has a natural predator how dangerous would that also be to humans too right don't try to see a pattern or blame god or the government it's like mm, can't we blame the government because they're the ones who open well not the government but the scientists who opened scientists up the fucking cave it. and it's like yeah really guys <laughs> So yeah, as Allie's reading this, the family's driving, Glenn and Jude are in the other vehicle and they decide to stop and take a little toilet break. And even Allie was like, here, like this doesn't seem safe, but okay. But I, when you gotta go, you gotta go. I was like, look, when nature calls. <laughs> <laughs> Trust me, I've been driving a few times where I'm like, oh boy, if I don't make it to the bathroom, I'm about to pee my pants. And then I've had to pull over to the side of the road and go to potty. Not my greatest passion, but. It's not even like an unsafe place where they pulled over because there were right. other people passing by. If this was a normal situation, as long as no one sees you, yeah, if something happens, people will stop and help you, right? Right. You would think so. But with the end of the world, yes, they're probably like, deuces. You want to talk about page 141? I sent something wrong to my left. Yeah. So Allie, with her awesome senses, since she can't hear, thought that maybe Vests had already made it to them. And Otis is freaking out, only to find a man with a shotgun walking up to her and Otis. Do you think they ran out of gas and that's what happened? I think so, because it didn't really explain. Well, it says a car but bucked Allie into the lay-by-lay lay behind us. And like, you know, when you run out of gas, your car kind of does the, the rock back I've and never, forth. I've never run out of gas, so oh. I can't <laughs> say I know. I know you have. Have. <laughs> I've run out of gas on uh, several occasions because I'm, I don't know, I get distracted. 
just forget that I need to take I, a tank. I've come very close to running out of gas, but I always make it to the gas station, but never run out of gas. Okay, the amount of times not I've made it to a gas station and not run out of gas is astronomical. The amount of times I've yes. been stranded on the side of the road and needed to call someone has been like two, two to five. It's, it's happened oh, more wow. than I care to admit. <laughs> So yeah, this family, like, they guess they didn't have enough petrol, as they say in the book. And he was threatening to fucking kill Allie or Otis, which is crazy. And then Allie's dad was like, nah, bitch, you're going to shoot me before you shoot my own child. And then Otis, what a hero. Otis escapes from Allie's grasp and attacks the man. And then the shotgun goes off. And guess who he freaking shoots? Okay, wait. So before that happens, I believe Hugh and Kelly have been like, we will get out of the car. You can have it. And the guy gets his wife and kids out of their car. And as they're trying to take the Mazda, that's when Otis breaks loose, breaks loose, attacks the man, and then the shotgun goes off, right? Yeah, I guess... I guess I could be, a, I could have gotten a little excited. She's comforting Otis. So I'm on page 143. She's telling Otis, like, shut the fuck up. And I glance and saw my dad walking towards me. Dad, no. Yeah, I think they had already, they were like going to give the Mazda away. And then Otis was like, fuck that shit. Breaks loose. The shotgun goes off. She thinks Hugh got hit. And then they all jumped together and grew instantly still again. No one fell. No one clasped a wound or span around with blood spilling. He'd fired into the air. Oh, wait. Okay. So wait. he had fired a warning shot first. Mm -hmm. And then he demands keys now. Allie's like, don't hurt my family. This man says some choice words to a poor 14-year-old who you are literally right. threatening. Hugh throws the man the car keys. He caught them, examined them briefly, pocketed them, and then called back over his shoulder without taking his eyes from me, my dog, and my dad. Behind him, the car doors opened. A woman and two young children scrambled out, and the woman was, holding, was carrying a baby in a blanket hooked to her chest. More cars passed them. Won't anyone help, I thought. Doesn't anyone care? Maybe someone would see what was happening, edge their car to the left, and run the man down. But I had no wish to see anyone killed. Not someone I loved, and not even this man who thought he was protecting his loved one. Otis's lead slipped from my grasp. No, I tried to shout, but I was breathless with fear. The dog streaked past Dad, leaped at the man, he brought the gun up again, but it was too late. The barrel too long, the dog inside its reach and leaping for him. Claws scrabbling, teeth gnashing, all fur and fury. The man tried to stagger back, but tripped over his own feet as he fell. The shotgun fired. Dad dropped to the ground and I screamed, crawling for him and draping myself against his body, trying to drag him back towards me. He looked up at me and then sat up and hugged me tight, pulled back just a little to show me his finger and thumb in a circle. I'm okay. Then his face fell. Otis was on top of the man, teeth clamped around his arm. Otis, I called. Leave! Leave Otis! Otis! The dog backed away, circling the man, trotting back to me with his tail raised. Dad moved me gently aside and stood, and I stood with him, turning to see what terrible thing he had seen. The woman on the ground, close to the Mazda's rear end, her two kids huddled by her side, and my mom was already had already reached her. I hated the flush of relief that washed through me when I saw that not one of my family was on the ground, but at the same time, I thought, not our fault. The woman's leg looked out of shape, and I stared with sick fascination at the ruin of her ankle and foot. Blood flowed back in the headlights. Cars passed by. We need to call the police. Or an ambulance, I thought, but the man had other ideas. He aimed the shotgun as he approached my family. His kids backed away from him, but he shouted at them. They scurried into the back of our Mazda. Lynn tried talking to the man, but he edged around her, clasped his wife beneath the arm, pulled her upright. She screamed. The look on her face was terrible, and I could smell blood. It was the air after a thunderstorm. He dumped her into the passenger seat, held his hand out for the infant. My mom handed the infant over, and the man placed it gently in his wife's arm. <laughs> and then they drive away. I mean, you gotta do what you gotta do to protect your family, but also, like, Bro, absolutely you're threatening not. to kill, and you're threatening to kill another child just for a car like that's your fault that you didn't stop to get gas well he also mortally injured his wife she's never gonna walk again yeah no that's his fault so he like basically fucked them anyway but i want to know like what that conversation was like in the car before they even decided to do that like oh let's whose idea was it was it the husband's idea or was it the wife who was like you better go get that car, do whatever you have to, like just absolutely crazy for that to even happen. And then to choose a child, but bad guy thinking, yeah, you're going to choose a child because the parents are more inclined to give you the car to save their child. Well, that's like in my notes, really, you get to see how people really are when the social contract is just gone. Mm -hmm. 
which I feel like this isn't going to be the first and only time or the last and only time that we see something like this happen where people are going to try to do what they can to get what they want. Yeah. I know you used to play the game, The Walking Dead. How far did you make it in there? Um, I made it pretty far, but I never got to finish it because I just never had the time. But like even in that game, you get to see people like go crazy. Yeah, like like you can definitely see like there are times where you're just like, oh shit, like it's a matter of life and death and people aren't going to take into consideration what anyone else feels. You're going to fight for survival. The next thing I have is chapter 10. Do you have anything else for chapter chapter 9? Okay. (laughs) The trouble is this isn't like anything we fought before. These things aren't like any enemy. They're not marching in waves, following known strategies, nor are they discouraged by any level of loss. We know so far that other countries have tried machine guns, gunships, fuel air bombs, surface to air missiles, flamethrowers, and anti-aircraft guns. There are rumors of some limited effect in Bosnia where a chemical agent was employed, but there's no accurate reports of just how effective it was, and nothing concerning the effects on civilian populations. Russia appears to have released a biological weapon in several partly evacuated towns in Kazakhstan, and there are large military engagements around Moscow. Again, no accurate reports or feedback are available. Analysis of foreign efforts will hopefully be beneficial if and when the vests cross the English Channel and hit the UK mainland. One aspect troubles me more than any other. Weapons are loud. And more and more, it seems that the only way to avoid detection by these things is to maintain complete, utter silence. General Michael Holgate, Friday, 18 November 2016. So with that in mind, everyone is driving with Glenn all squished together. How sweet. But they've all kind of decided like this isn't going to be very good for all of us to be stuck in this car. Oh, and we find that like Hugh and Kelly left their phone in the in the car that was taken. Luckily, Lynn had her medicine. And her phone. Yes, and her phone. So great. And Kelly and Hugh decide that they need to get a car. Yeah. And then we go over. Hugh's concerned. He's like, I only have like two grand left on our credit card. And then what about accident insurance? And Glenn is like, really? Really? That's what you're concerned about right now? Because like everyone else would definitely be like, proof of insurance, please. Nah, my dude. Yeah, I was like, oh yeah, people at my bank are definitely, or my insurance company are definitely going to go to work today. Oh yeah, what's your new insurance policy? You know, someone just stole your car. I I like how he's trying to rationalize things and be like, no, we can make this as normal as possible. When in reality, that's probably just him trying to like, you know, not think that the world is ending. Trying to preserve that social contract. But they do find a sales room, lucky for them, but no one's in there. Or so they think. Well, it's a converted petrol station up ahead. Now post sign posted as four-wheel drive sales room. They break into the sales room and they're like bumbling around. And then they pick up like a bunch of keys. And then as they're leaving, they hear, where's the voice? So they completely thought it was empty because there was no alarm, no nothing. And then as they're leaving, they hear get out get out and it's following them and it's shouting get out and all the while they're like oh my god what the hell was that someone's scared i need to clean my knickers i think i pissed myself yeah i would too i probably would have just started like crying at that point okay but the voice was so loud and screeching that it was androgynous get out get out get out and i was like do you think it's like one of those alarms that sounds like the computer voice just yelling get out maybe oh maybe but i feel like if it had been then it would have gone off earlier i have no idea i just thought it was like weird but they pick up this five-year-old jeep cherokee i don't know how they know it's five years old but go off not like y'all have the paperwork on it (laughs) they also acknowledge that once they're in the cherokee there's not a lot of fuel in it, but it's fine because there's a petrol shop right there. Yeah. And then they turn on the radio and it says, this is my page 159, Black Forest regions of Germany. And there are already unconfirmed reports of incidents in Switzerland and Southern France. None of these contacts have been officially confirmed, but a rapidly developing situation. It is social media that is becoming the go-to source for up-to-date information. The prime minister is expected to make his his next hourly statement in around 12 minutes. But in the meantime, Hugh clicked it off. They sat in silence, heartbeat settling, breathing becoming normal once again. And then they're like, it's spreading faster. We won't make it. Not that far. Not Scotland. We'll go as far as we can. And then Glenn's like, how'd it go? They have a fucking new car, Glenn. How do you think it went? I'm sure he probably thought maybe that they had a nice run-in with someone and they're like, oh yeah, take the car. Not, holy shit, we almost... 
freaking peed our pants. But they filled up and they're just driving. I'm trying to see if there's anything else that really made. They stopped at another place. They stopped at another place and they're like, nobody seemed to care that the gas prices were so much and the and the the snacks cost so much. Glenn paid in cash and the station's owners were alight with profit. Hugh could not understand how the man did not see the truth. Money is going to have no value very soon. But I didn't have anything else until the end where they're trying to come up with a plan of where they should go and Glenn offered like maybe the lakes because it's open country and plenty of places to get lost there. And Jude was like, I want to go home. And Hugh is having that time and like this little fight in his mind where he's like, what? Because Lynn says, what if we split up? And here Hugh is losing his rationality of like, won't matter. Once they're all around us, what the fuck does anything matter? Like he starts, you can tell he's scared, but he's trying to be super strong for his family that this isn't affecting him. In reality, it's like, it's all affecting everyone and they all have like different ways of showing it. Yeah. All right. You ready for chapter 11? Yep. We're locked in down here. Sightless, deaf, 15 of us. All lost someone. Wish we'd run. Maybe we'd still be ahead. Hashtag fuck. At Jenny Fall, Twitter, Friday, 18 November, 2016. In an old minibus, we have to whisper because still see them, like ghosts in the night, pale, they, against the windows, maybe listening, or feeling for vibrations. We drove as fast as we could and then had a puncture, trapped now, and seeing what happens to those who make noise, my daughter, silent tears, my little girl. Bam Crass, YouTube Friday, 18 November 2016. I'd like to acknowledge the funny usernames. Bam Kraus. Me being like, it's interesting that all these updates are in English. <laughs> yeah. Oh, and there's another one. Sorry. Yeah, I was waiting. <laughs> I thought it was like end of the chapter already. We stopped and hid when we knew they were getting close. Issa says she thinks we should have gone on until the last moment. But now we're here, trapped. In a field with a hundred other cars. Five of us in a Volvo. No food. No water. The stench of sweat and piss and fear. The Vesp circle. They roost. And if anyone opens a door, they swoop. There are bodies. They have become birthing grounds. I wish I'd driven faster. I wish we'd run further. But they had probably still caught us. Sometime soon, we'll have to open the door. David Mendoza, CNN correspondent, France, Friday, 18 November 2016. Allie talks about... Um, is that the dream that she has? Uh, no, she talks about how traveling in cars sometimes, like, scares and upsets her because she, like, knows their sound, but she can't hear it. And then she says, but there was one of the most traumatic memories that she had before the crash, but it was only a nightmare. Yeah. And Jude was a baby and her mom wore her, wore Jude across her chest in like a sling. And dad came home and like, it was a beautiful day and everything was going just fine. And like they hugged and then her parents were like talking in lowered tones. And then the sun went away and it was like black and white basically outside. And then the next thing that she knew, they were running across the garden and like just kept running and there was something that was chasing them, but she couldn't see it. And like, she, but she could feel it. It was heavy, dense thing, a gravity behind drawing us back. The faster and harder we ran, the slower our escape seemed to be. It was a vast weight. And every time I tried to turn and look to see what dreadful thing had invaded our happy, perfect world, my parents squeezed my hands and dragged me along. The worst thing, the very worst, more fearful than sudden darkness, the endless garden of discarded and progressively more broken toys and the sense of that monstrous thing bearing down on us was the expression of my parents' faces. Terror for themselves, dread for their children. The very real sense in their eyes that every step, every breath was hopeless and they were merely delaying the inevitable. And then she'd wake up. Like that's scary for a small child to dream. We're on page 172 of mine. Allie says, I checked the iPad again. I was following Twitter, a new trend labeled hashtag Vesps UK. When it started trending, I'd been shocked because in truth, I hadn't really expected it. Plugged in though, I was to the information superhighway until recently. This had been something happening elsewhere in the world. We're safe. We're an island. This is all happening to someone else. Not anymore. There are too many new tweets to read them all, but a few random ones I picked out said everything. At Doverdahl, I see explosions up to sea. At Potty Bonkers, the horizon is on fire. What are they doing? At UKPM, our forces are engaged with the Vest Plague above the English Channel. And so I wish they still had the Atlas so they could figure out how fast the Vest are traveling, because realistically, I think it's only been 
two days minimum i don't know maximum. the timeline yeah i was like i've been thinking of the timeline to be honest i feel like it hasn't been very long i think since it's... the start of all of it because it started in the, the 16th i'm going back to the first chapters so it started the 17th and is still the 18th so it's been a day yeah like and the vesps are already in europe so my question is how far can they travel over water how safe is america because you know i know europe and <laughs> Africa are fucking connected, so they're screwed too. Yeah. How safe is America? Obviously, Australia is the only safe place to be. Maybe. Like, honestly, um, reading this book, do you remember when we used to play Contagion? Uh, the app? Yeah. Yes, and I, like, found joy in <laughs> like the being able game. to, like, kill the entire world. And then, like, thinking at it, like, th looking back at it, I'd be like, that's scary. <laughs> it's terrifying. And that's, like, something we used to do for fun. It's like, hmm, how do I make a super virus? <laughs> yeah. So, yes, I remember that. And then but it's always, I thought like, it was funny. You have to, like, start it in Europe and Australia. Otherwise, Australia and New Zealand are always fine at the end yes yeah so i was like um, i feel like australia is gonna be fine and, and antarctica because i think i don't because no one's really there well no one's really there but i also, don't know if they live in warm climates or cold climates yeah i think you said last episode you like looked up their profile while you showed me a picture of the fucking flying fetus and you were like they don't do well in cold climates <laughs> but going back to the book at one point when they're driving ali's mom turned around and was like see if you can find any traffic updates we don't want to be stuck in the jam and ali's like damn right we don't not now not when they get here and however many hours they'll take really you're concerned about traffic jams i don't think anyone else is going to be concerned and update their gps while they're driving i mean what else are you gonna do cry accurate but then they say there's nothing on traffic like people are just talking yeah. the vesps are fucking here and i'm stuck in traffic but don't say where right i think they go off-roading again but we have more twitter feed at pot can we talk about how funny the username potty bonkers is i wonder what that's supposed to mean but whatever at potty bonkers reach the coast we're locked in here shouts screams at ukpm our forces continue to combat the infestation at reggie b nold an aircraft crashed close by military massive explosion and we can hear those things crawling on our roof at Neji b reggie b nold Saw old Miss Rogers from next door chased down and killed at Reggie Beanold. Can't stop our fucking dog from barking. Foreshadow. And they decide to go off-roading again. And then Glenn's like, yo, I wanna I wanna take the lead. And he was like, I'm annoyed that Glenn always wants to lead. But I can't get mad at him because homeboy is fucking right. <laughs> I wish I had marked it earlier, because I knew it was gonna happen. What? There's like one part where he talks about how having Glenn there is a blessing. I think it might have been in the next chapter. Okay. Well, that's all I have for chapter 11, realistically. Yeah, I didn't have much either. This is on my page 180. I flipped the iPad cover off and opened the BBC news page. The live update feed streamed as it caught up, and then I read the latest postings. 0604. Several ships burning in the English Channel, many more adrift. It's thought that engines have been turned off to cut down on noise. 0611. Vests sighted along the coast from Ramsgate to Eastbourne. 0623. Many reports of attacks now coming from across southeast England. 0628. Military assaults taking place. Military assaults taking place? I was old enough to be chilled by how non-specific that was. Anything military was noisy, wasn't it? Guns, explosion, aircraft, helicopters, bombs. The only stuff that was quiet might be chemical weapons, gas, stuff like that. But this was Britain. They never would. And it's almost like we know the Vesps come from a very oxygen poor environment. I don't think gas would do a lot. I'm just saying someone needs to make like a sonic ear piercing thing because if they use echolocation to hunt, if you blow that out, they're useless. And then you just stomp on their fucking right. skulls. Also, why don't the Vesps hunt each other? Probably because of the smell that they put off. Maybe. At what point, do when they run out of food, are they going to turn on each other? I don't know. Chapter 12? 
Yep. I have never seen such a mass of humanity on the move. Hundreds of thousands have already left London, but those who never really believed it could happen here are now reevaluating and millions are trying to flee. The streets are gridlocked. These are biblical scenes, with millions attempting to work their way out of the city on foot. Many are carrying bags or belongings. Many more have only clothes on their back. In places, the flow has been interrupted with what looks from up here like riots, but there's no indication of the cause. Blue lights flash, but they are swamped. The tube has been deluged and there are reports of tragedies that several underground stations as people panic. Hundreds of helicopters are picking people up from the private helipads and ferrying them north and west. The military no-fly zone is being ignored, and although scores of Royal Air Force choppers and jets are buzzing above London, they're not trying to stop anyone. We're one of the over a dozen press helicopters currently reporting from above London. Air traffic control is offline and our pilot is taking great care to watch out for other aircraft in the vicinity. Every school is closed, emergency services are helpless in the jam streets, and the reports are coming in of untended fires in several parts of the city. And scenes that have never that have not been witnessed since the Dunkirk evacuation during the Second World War. The Thames is clogged with ships and boats of every size, and all of them sailing downstream for the open sea. I've seen several collisions and one large tourist boat that appears to have capsized. It's horrible. I can't believe this is happening. London, our capital, the world's greatest city, is in utter turmoil, and there's no one or nothing that can help. If you're a praying person, pray for the people of London. This is Jane Lane, Sky News, reporting from the skies above London. I'll stay here as long as I can, but I'm not sure. Yes, just as long as I can. Sky News audio only broadcast 6.55 a.m. Saturday, 19 November 2016. Okay, so now it's the 19th. But also it's Saturday. What school is going to be? I'm being nitpicky. And also speaking of like the no-fly zone, but I can only imagine just like you're flying and you're trying to report news, but you have all these other helicopters flying in the air. ATC is no longer online. Like that is already stressful enough having to watch out for all these aircraft, but like having multiple aircraft flying around, like, holy shit. But also you I wouldn't have these fly. crazy little monsters that are attracted to sound and you know it's really loud? Aircraft. Helicopters, yeah. So like, basically this is like- She's literally in her coffin already. Yes. Which is so unfortunately. sad when you think about it. And she probably knows too, but... Yeah, that's why I think she says yes just as long as I can. The only thing I have on page... on Not the only thing I have. The first thing I have is on page 86 is the page that you sent me earlier in a Snapchat. I don't remember what page that was, but... For me, it says, uh, it's page 186, and it says, Toilet stop, said Hugh. They pissed into the hedge, comfortable in their silence. The view was opening up as dawn came, and Hugh remembered what a beautiful part of the world the Lake District was. And then it's like, Jude was on the other side of the road, giggling as he pissed into the hedge. A few hours, Glenn said, you think? Maybe less, said Hugh. We need to find somewhere suitable. I don't want to drive until the last minute and get trapped in the cars. And I put on my note, I said, friends that piss together stay together. True. You want to cross streams? <laughs> I said that to Luke and he's like, you're disgusting. So they keep driving and they keep hitting these roadblocks. I would be so frustrated because it's like, dude, like the two garbage trucks that were parked across the road, like that was planted. Okay, but I understand because... It's like, I read a lot of Walking Dead comics until, I don't know, I stopped reading them after a while because it just kept going and it never stopped. And I was like, this needs to stop. And I think it eventually did stop and I never finished it. But it like gets, when the whole group like takes over the prison, they don't want to share it. And it's like maybe 10 people in there. The prison is fully protected because it's a prison. There's lots of food stockpiled there and it's like a very valuable resource and they don't want to share it because that is their livelihood at that, that point. So I understand why the people of the Lake District are like, no, you're not coming in. But yeah. Yeah, no, I put on page 187. They're like, do you really think it'll be the best? It's like, yes. Have you not seen The Walking Dead? It's hashtag. It's like, everyone's a dick. They probably don't have Walking Dead in this world, but. <laughs> I mean, okay. There are several references to Alien in the series, which Tim Lebin wrote. So I don't know if that's like a fun nod to him or the idea that this is like just like a different offshoot of what of what our world was. But this is now like a new element that they decided to introduce for the novel. Yeah, that makes sense. Who knows? And then Allie lets them know that the Vesps are in London. Yay! We start to see Hugh kind of start to snap on page 191 for me. And this is after they finally made it up like a giant hill. The ground eventually plateaued below a sheer rise, a small flattish area just large enough to park the two vehicles side by side. The small cliff was only 20 feet high. 
but more than enough to halt onward progress. To one side, the rocky outcropping prevented movement, and to the other side, a farmer's dry stone wall blocked the way. Now what? Lynn said. How about now we be a bit positive, Hugh said. <laughs> Poor Hugh. But now we get to watch all these, like, little family dynamics and, like, the manual labor. And they're like, we're going to tear down the wall. We get to know a little bit more about Hugh and Glenn's friendship. And that basically Hugh is very, he, like, loves Glenn and they've been friends forever. And you mentioned how they were knocking down the wall and that's what started this whole conversation. Okay. Yeah. And then how Glenn literally hunted down people who hurt him when they were younger. I just think their friendship is so sweet. Yeah, it is. And then I have on page 96, what could have been foreshadowing. And it said, it made me glad that he was Glenn's friend because he could be dangerous. What if things start to fall apart between Hugh and Glenn? We could be in for a very dangerous situation. I just kind of took like Glenn's whole story of him gotten like having gotten beat up and like having to recuperate and stuff like that. I kind of saw it as like, okay, Glenn is going to survive like whatever's thrown at him kind of thing. Like nothing. Almost I hate to say it like this, but basically, you know how superheroes never die? Like he's never going to die kind of thing. That's what I took that as really rude isn't it they like dangle mm-hmm. that in front of you but yeah so they managed to tear down most some of the wall which i'm like enough of the these? wall enough of the wall and lynn's just like i'm fine when in reality we're all like bitch you're dying and she knows it she just wants to keep it oh poor lynn okay but it's also like it's lynn's last day. what is she gonna do yeah live your days out I to don't. the fullest there's a little bit more foreshadowing i mean on page 199, Hugh Kelly shouted. He jumped, twitched the wheel to the left, and narrowly avoided a rocky projection. Yeah. And then on page 200, they're talking and how the, he can see Jude and Glenn having a great time in the Land Rover. And then it goes, the Land Rover thudded into a series of dips in the hillside, depressions where loose earth had fallen away. Glenn must have revved the engine because the bonnet rose. The tail end slammed down, and the front offside wheel struck a rock. Lynn cried out behind Hugh, her hands reaching past his face so as if she could grab the Land Rover. Hold on. Prevent it from tipping. It fell on its right side. Hugh slammed on the brakes, stood on the pedal as he tensed forward. Disbelief and terror combined to steal his breath. The Land Rover rolled. They run out, and they go see what happens, and Kelly reaches the vehicle first, falls on her knees, and she screams. Yeah, my heart was racing at that point. I was like, holy shit, what did I just read? And I had to like put the phone, I had to put the phone, I had to put my- I I closed the book, put it down, and I like, I went to bed. (laughs) I was like, nope, nope, this is tomorrow. There were, there were a couple of, that's the thing, when we even made this comment last episode, this book, you have to like take a break because it's just, there's just so much and it just, oh, it really gets to you. So we have the privilege of reading this as a book. Imagine being a character. Right. You don't get to put it down for an hour. You don't get to put it down and be like, all right, I'm reading it later. I can't handle this right now. Yeah. No. And then it just keeps building and you're like, why? But anyway, chapter 13. I didn't have anything else for 12. I didn't either. So chapter 13, we have remain inside, keep quiet, stay safe. This can't last forever. Metropolitan Police website, Saturday, 19 November 2016. So we know that poor little baby Jude and big strong hero Glenn got into a car accident and it rolled. Landed on the roof. And so Allie goes into the car to go see both of them. And like, I could just imagine, first of all, you can't, you lost your hearing because of a car accident. So you're going into a car accident. You can't hear anything. It really seems like she can't see anything. And she manages to get Jude out of the car and Jude's, Jude's okay, which is great. But then she's like looking at Glenn and his face is like permanently etched into a scream. It's bloody. And like, I can just only imagine like she's literally looking at what probably it looked like for her. Yeah. But we learned that Jude is okay and he gets out of the crash. But Glenn has been pinned by the steering column and he is stuck in the seat and Hugh does not want to leave him. Behind. Which is understandable. That's his best friend. I know. But like, and 
and him and Glenn have that argument of Glenn was like, dude, I know I'm going to die. Like, just leave. Yeah. Like, you need to get your family to safety. And like, even Kelly was like, no, like, listen to Glenn. And he was like, I can't leave him. And then Glenn they finally just decide, like, Kelly, like, tell him. Yeah. And, and it was just like, OK. And so they're like, OK, fine. We'll come back for you. We'll come back for you. I and cried this entire chapter. I was starting to, like, tear up a little bit here. And then when he was like, screw it, we're not leaving him. And he gets back out. Then I started crying because I was like, oh, wow, that's okay. We're really doing this. And they tried everything they could to get Glenn out. And he was just like, there's no point. Well, like, think about like, try. even if they do get Glenn out, is he going to be able to walk again? Right. Is, exactly. is he going like, to survive? Because they said there was there was some abdominal injuries. Right. Like I was surprised he and was this still is alive. For how long he survived. Yes. It's 143 on my page. Um, but it's a page before chapter 14. So not the last page, but the second to last page before 14. Okay. At the very end, this is what made me cry. I'll come back, Hugh said. Couple of hours, but he trailed off. He couldn't promise anything. I don't want you to die. He was crying now. Pussy, Glenn said. Go on, I'll be fine. I've survived worse than this. And this time Hugh couldn't find it in himself to laugh. He crawled from the Land Rover without another word, marched uphill, head down, not meeting his family's eyes. Kelly went with him and tried to hold his hand, but he shook her off. Glenn might be watching. He might see the hope between them. And you didn't want that. And I just started crying. I was like, that is so sad. Like to have to make that decision because you know that the Vesps are coming and it's your family or your best friend. Yeah. And he's like, there's no way we're leaving him. Chapter 14. Even while the enemy advances, people are writing history texts about the day of the Vesps. They're recording events that happened in Eastern Europe, the rapid spread across the continent, the Vesps limited incursions into Asia and North Africa, the efforts made and battles lost. They're charting world reaction to the tragedy, including the USA shutting all sea and land borders, Australasia isolating itself from the world stage, and the military skirmishes in the Far East between Japan, China, and North and South Korea. Interviews are being collated, opinions sought, and books written. Even while Vesp occupy airspace above the writer's retreats and danger still stalks the streets. And I find this encouraging. Looking ahead in this manner is a testament to the human spirit. It speaks of a belief in survival. And on this dark day, such belief is vital. So I say to these historians, keep writing. You are already creating our brave new world. Prime Minister's Address to the Nation. 11 a.m. Saturday, the 19th, November 2016. So Allie is then talking about now how they all have to live in silence and she's not sure if mm -hmm. Glenn is like even listening because Glenn has been coming in and out of consciousness. And I just thought dragging out Glenn's death like this is fucking cruel to the reader. Lynn and Allie are having a conversation and like Allie's like, you need to start signing. And Lynn goes, Allie explains, you feel cut off from the world. Like a wall has gone up and things are moving on without you. It's like that for me to begin with. But we all have an advantage that most people won't have. We can sign. Lynn, you're not as good as the rest of us, but you've got to know a lot of your sign language, haven't you? Yes, I, she began, but I cut her off. Sign it. Lynn smiled, nodded, and very carefully and purposefully started signing. It takes me a little time to understand, but I get there in the end. Now, I just thought that was like a heartfelt moment shared between a grandma and her child and her grandchild. And I thought that was sweet. So Allie starts talking about how people are surviving. They're shut away in basements or sealed in buildings, keeping quiet and silent. Jude asks how they lay their eggs, and then they have to tell him. They lay it in people, in their eyes and in their mouths, or just like, you know, inside of them. But then they do ask the question of like infants hatch and swarm, but the ones who lay eggs hang around. So like they're trying to ask like or figure out like, do they stay in one place or do they all mobilize or do they just like the ones who laid the eggs, do they stay? Like they're trying to figure out the migration patterns of these things. I still can't believe how far they're traveling without like or, like part of the original swarm dropping dead. Like these things are making Unless these things don't die. <sighs> Dies. On my page 224, the Vesps have arrived. And then we get into the worst part of this book so far. Allie says, I'm seeing people die, I thought, and horror gripped me, crippling, paralyzing, shattering. I sensed movement beside me and instinctively ducked, glancing that way with a hand held up to my to ward off danger. Dad was reaching for me. He held my hand and pulled me gently towards the Jeep. So they all climb in and Otis, oh, this, oh, my heart rate. We both knew it was going to happen, though. I know. But like, so he, Otis is sitting, is like outside in the grass and he like sees the vest coming and he's like not listening to Allie and Allie is like, come on, like get inside, get inside, get inside. And I thought, okay, at this point, they're just going to leave him outside and he's going to die. 
or he's going to go run after them. But somehow, magically, he goes inside the car, which I don't know is worse. I'm going to say him going in the car was worse. Yeah. So obviously, they cannot make Otis stop barking, and it's attracting the Vesps. So Glenn, who is still miraculously alive, has his shotgun, fires it, and then starts making all the noise he can to try to draw the Vesps away from the family. And by that, he kills himself. Sacrifices himself. So, unfortunately, Madison was right in the lottery. What? I said Glenn was going to die first. I said Glenn and Jude were going to no, die. No, you didn't. You said Kelly and Jude. Dang it, Jude and Kelly. Why didn't you die? I thought I said Glenn and nope, Jude. No, I said Glenn first. Okay, you I was like, Glenn. there's no way. I was like... You read like Walking Dead comics. You read. And we all we also knew the dog was gonna die because. Yeah, I think it was. A in given. any Doomsday book, the dog always dies. But also, it's like the big macho dude who you think is gonna survive, the one who's going to help you survive, always the one who dies first, and it, it's always usually in a sacrifice kind of situation. Yeah, and like everyone in the car kept telling Ellie, like, make him shut up, make him shut up. There's no way to make an excited dog like, start barking short of like. A very powerful shot caller. Right. And even then, that's not like, going to work. You have to distract them somehow. And that's going to either involve you hitting them, which causes more pain, and yelping. Or, or you making more noise. Right. So we end this chapter with you grabbing the shotgun and killing Otis. Not by shooting him, but by strangulating It's him. worse. <laughs> I watched Dad choking my dog to death with a shotgun. He kept his back to us, at least, trying to shield us from the worst. I could see Otis's kicking legs and the muscles on Dad's neck standing out. Afterwards, he knelt there, breathing hard, and I, I allowed my tears at last. As Vest continued flying past the Jeep, no longer landing, I realized Dad was not panting at all, but crying. I got up at this point, sobbing, ugly crying changed my laundry then i like and i finally calmed down i was like okay i'm fine then i started thinking what if i had to do that to my own dog then i start crying again i'm like walking through my house just sobbing my eyes out and then finally i was like okay i'm good enough i can i can keep reading so i sat back down went into part two and then kept crying yeah we'll ask a, i have a discussion question i'll ask later it kind of relates to this um okay. so chapter fifth so part two no silence Part two, mm. silence. Chapter 15. We can go into. Consider what you have in your life that might produce noise. All electric devices should be muted or switched to silent. TVs, phones, tablets, personal music devices, sat-navs, GPS, digital watches, etc. All medical warning devices should be deactivated. Medication reminders, hearing aids, etc. Babies should be comforted at all times. Do your best to prevent your child from crying. If you cannot prevent it, try to remove yourself from other people, somewhere as secure and safe as possible. Do not attempt to start any vehicle engines, generators, or any other mechanical equipment. Pets should be silenced. Cobra Emergency Text Transmission Number 14, Saturday 19, November 2016. And then in this chapter, we start getting into Hugh's ethos or Hugh's morals. And how he thinks all life is precious. So there's a part where he says, when he saw Roadkill, he felt pity for the creatures. He'd wonder whether their deaths had left any defenseless young behind, now destined to starve to death or be picked off by predators. He didn't like watching hunting on television, images of cruelty to animals or humans. Stripped him. Okay, whenever I see a dead animal on the side of the road, or one time I accidentally, the car in front of me ran over something and then I hit it. It was at night, so I had no idea what it was that I hit. I cried because I was like, oh my gosh, that poor animal probably had a family. And I always think when I see Roadkill, did they have a family? Is their family wondering where they came from? So I know exactly how Hugh feels because I feel this all the time. And then we have to go into how Hugh feels about killing Otis. And this is just the, so depressing because you know, so I think I've talked previously in the podcast is like things that make a villain and usually it's abuse against children, abuse against animals, and rape. This is one of those cases where it's like abuse and or killing an animal. You feel bad for the character because you're like, he didn't want to do it. Yeah, I don't think he was the villain at all. I think he just had to make that decision, unfortunately, in order to keep his family alive. Yeah. It's like survivability versus like just doing it because you want to see someone in pain. 
Yeah. I started crying again because I was like, it's like he didn't want Otis to suffer. And I was like, oh my gosh. Yeah. Yeah. This was absolutely heartbreaking. Like first his best friend kills himself to save them. And then he has to kill the family dog. Allie doesn't want to look at him. And he's like, and in his eyes, he's like, I'm a villain to Allie. He's like, I'm a monster. No, you did what you had to. Like everyone else in the family is like, you did what you needed to. Even Jude, who's like, what, six, seven years old? I think he's nine. No, he seems younger than he is. But anyway. He's he's definitely like a nine-year-old. But for him to understand that at nine years old, like is still, okay. And then they go into how much sound will attract the Vesps because they see like the vet, not all the Vesps have moved on because opening the car door help. And then I think Hugh like starts examining the car and he sees the Vesps are intelligent enough to know how to try to break into a car, mm-hmm. which is fucking disturbing. Will us walking attract Vesps? Will us like pissing attract Vesps? How much sound attracts a Vesp? Mm-hmm. And so, like, they're still in the car. Like, this part kind of bothered me is uh, three pages before the end of the chapter. Kelly was the first one who needed to urinate. She signaled to the, this to Hugh and pointed into the boot, shrugged. I was like, are you seriously asking if you should probably go pee in the trunk? I get it. But, like, and Otis was back there. Bad enough that he'd killed the family dog. No one was going to piss on the poor mutt's corpse. I wouldn't be able to do that. Like, go back there and pee. Like, I'd be willing to open the door and go outside. Maybe that's just me. I don't know. So you pee on the back of the car on the dead dog or you risk your life. Then you can figure out if sound cat, what type of sound brings them in. But they even talked about it too. They're like, we have to, like, at some point we have to leave. Like, we can't just sit in here. And then, so they make a decision that, like, they're not starting the car again. They cannot start the car again. So they decide they have to leave on foot now. And he basically told Kelly, like, you get everyone out of the car. I'm going to go to Glenn and create a distraction. And then I'll come meet you guys. And, like, Allie, this part made me cry again because then Allie goes, we're leaving Okay, but I want to say goodbye to Otis. She offered a sad smile, and Hugh could not hold back the tears that burned his eyes. He watched his daughter lean over into the back seat, ruffle her dog's fur, scratch him behind the ear, and she stayed there for some time. Jude stirred and saw what was happening. He scooted across to his mother, rubbing his eyes, watching Allie, then turned to look through the windscreen. That's just really sad. Yep, this book is just depressing. Not me getting tears now after just reading that, but like, whatever. Not me almost crying too, it's okay. <laughs> Chapter 16. Yeah, let's move on. My dad just killed my dog and we saw our friend die. Suddenly it's a different world. Twitter, at Silent Alley A. Saturday, 19 November 2016. So Allie establishes that the Vesps fucking smell. Yes. And then she gets to see the vests being nasty to to, to Glenn's corpse and the yeah. his remains and what they look like. And then Jude is saying they're totally silent. They can't even hear their wings. And then one of them hits Allie. Yeah. And she doesn't make any noise. Like, I'm trying to think. I'm a very jumpy person and people at work can scare me very easily. Oh, but it's I like- know. If you're in that situation, does your body just immediately just like, no, like, don't say anything? I don't know. I haven't been in that situation. I, I, I don't want to be in that situation. Maybe like, where's the duct tape so I can put it over my fucking mouth? Yeah. So then Hugh goes to the Jeep and he like rolls it down the hill. And then that creates like a tremendous amount of noise. And then he lights the cigarette that one of secret, one of Lynn's secret cigarettes basically tosses it to the Land Rover. And then, good job. He did not want Glenn's body Glenn's to be, used be desecrated into a breeding ground. So it's like he got a, bu- a funeral fit for a Viking king. Basically, spiritual. I thought that was badass. A very good distraction. <laughs> On my page, 254, the cities had fallen first, loud and chaotic as they were. Finding a quiet, safe place in built up areas must have been next to impossible. Hide your family in one house, and if someone in the next do- next house screamed and attracted a flood of vests, a chain reaction of terror would doom even those struggling to maintain silence. There was mounting antidotal evidence of the vests letting out some sort of signal when they found prey. This strange stench, perhaps? Or maybe a sound out of humans' range of hearing. They acted very much like ants or wasps in that regard and it made them even more deadly. People attempting to flee in cars and aircraft would have been quickly taken down. I'd seen the terrible evidence of that and was pleased to be out in the open however much it stank. However terrible it was feeling a vesp's wings snag my hair or brush past my arm. Oh, Yeah. 
And they're slimy. I like just don't even want to know like what these things smell like. Yeah. And then I think they talk about how like the Range Rover at one point must have exploded because they see all the Vespas going to that area. And then the next thing I have is on page 260 and that's when Hugh gets attacked. Yeah. And it was there were like literally in each other's ear. Like he was talking to Kelly very quietly in her ear and this thing still hurt him. Um, But I guess his jacket saved him. And then Allie made the comment of clean your arm and there's no wound. Mom signed back. The teeth might have still touched him because she's right. Like unknown, whatever bacteria or viruses they carry will be unknown to medicine. So even if we did have the antibiotics, they'd probably be useless. And I'm like, this girl's so smart because I probably would have never thought of that. I mean, to be fair, I don't think antibiotics would have been useless because you're introducing a new antibiotic to a foreign thing. So unless it is immune to antibiotics in general, any, even the weakest antibiotic, like penicillin, probably would have been able to still do something. Still oh. do something. Because that's how medicine works. Antibiotic, like it's a super virus or something, or a super bacteria that's immune to that kind of antibody because it's that antibiotic has been overused. There's no reason for it to have any kind of resistance to it. So I'm just saying, like grabbing like a little med kit of your like very basic over-the-counter antibiotics like penicillin probably would have been helpful in the situation. However, mm -hmm. it probably would have gotten stolen by that asshole. And the Mazda. Yeah. But that's all I had for 16. That's, yep. How terrifying. This was just a very emotional book so far. Like, it's really, it's gotten me. Like, none of the characters annoy me. The writing of the book is very, very good. Like, they're descriptive enough where it's not over descriptive where you're like, okay. Like, if you have to be that descriptive, you're clearly not writing well. It's just, this author has done a great job of just basically putting you into the world that Allie and her family are in. And you're, like, sucked in. But you, then you have to take breaks because you're like, this is just too much. This is a lot for one sitting. Shout out to my friend, John. Thanks, John. You finally <laughs> gave me a good read. Thanks, Madison. I appreciate the pick. So now I kind of have an idea of what I want to choose for my next pick. But I'm, that's neither here nor there. I'm just glad that you were able to get away from the popular thrillers that neither of us were enjoying because that's what you yeah. thought you wanted because everyone's like, oh, it's really good. Five stars. They're like, Amazing thriller novel. And then you're just like, this is not warming the way I want it to. Right, exactly. So moving on to discussion questions. I have, how do you think Ali's point of view has helped us or will help us throughout the rest of the story? I think it gives us an insight of like what it's like in a silent world. She she can't know like how loud she's being. She's very good at picking out like very, maybe not, she's observant kind of thing. So it kind of gives us insight of her thought process, what she can see maybe versus what we would be able to see with a hearing character. Like we've already established like Allie does have heightened senses because she's the only one so far who has mentioned how bad the Vesps smell, I think. Yeah. Because Hugh hasn't said anything. And I don't think any of the social media reports had said anything. But they smell. But we have established, like, their secretions obviously smell, so. I think, like, by her being able to smell that is going to help alert them, like, hey, like, I'm smelling the smell that they have to be in the area. Yeah. But it is interesting to have a character who's already kind of, I don't want to say, no offense intended, having a handicap against mm -hmm. the, the main antagonist of the story because she doesn't know how loud she's being, but it's also kind of an advantage because the family already knows how to communicate without making sound. Kind of a handicap, kind of an advantage because Allie does have heightened senses and the family can already communicate, but it's also like a disadvantage because I think in the one of the last chapter, she accidentally like knocks a rock down a hill. Yeah. And she's like, I don't know how much sound that made. Yeah. How do you think that the family dynamics are going to develop? We can go looking um, back and progressing because we definitely got to see kind of the family dynamics between Hugh and Glenn up until this point, which was very interesting and kind of heartwarming and also devastating all at the same time. Mm -hmm. I think we definitely see because there was a part where Hugh had said, or I think Ali said, Maybe it was you that they're like, me and Kelly have touched more times in two days than we have in the last two months. I think we're going to see their relationship start to rekindle and they're going to realize how much that they do need each other in order to survive. We're going to see the relationship between Allie and Jude and Lynn start to develop, to develop a little bit more. I think like this whole scenario slash situation that they're 
in is going to make the, sh- the family stronger rather than break it, where we've seen with some families. I was like, it's either going to break it or make it stronger. There's no in between mm-hmm. at this point. You guys are going to either like strong bond or someone's going to crack and the family unit will be no more. Right. Because that's when um, when we were getting kind of the hint. So it's like, I'm glad Glenn's my friend because he's dangerous. It's like there could have been the potential of the falling out between the two. Mm-hmm. I don't know over what, but if we go with Walking Dead, you see Sean and Rick fighting over Lori because they thought Rick was dead and Sean had already moved in on Lori. And then you're just like, well, that's my wife. Well, you, you were dead. And then you get the whole like dudes fighting over a woman again, which is like mm-hmm. very archaic, but it there's the possibility that it could have happened anyways. Right. Again, what do you think the Vesp's weaknesses are going to be? Like I've talked about high frequency sound. I've talked about them hunting each other or like the potential of a bigger predator. What do you think? I think it's it's definitely not the light because we thought maybe that might be it, but it's a bright. Ali said that the day that they attacked or made it to London, it was a beautiful November day. It wasn't too cold, but it was cool enough. I think either high pitch frequencies, like you've been saying, or very cold environments. I think we've read somewhere that the cold in Russia was stopping the Vesps kind of a little bit. Mm-hmm. It's like, but we've also seen in the last chapter, it's like, they're not very sturdy. Like Lynn stomped on its head and killed it. Right. Yeah. Lynn, so, a frail, cancered woman. Yeah. So I'm just, it's like, I wonder if me being sadistic is thinking, I wonder if we could, they could, someone could like set up like this, like kind of like hunting trap thing that just makes like pulsing noise that would like, like flies to a light, just like attracting mm-hmm. it and then just mm-hmm. fucking crushing them. Or just doing like a zapper, you know? Is is that the solution? We get fly paper and, and fly zapper? <laughs> I think so. I think that would be very helpful. <laughs> or like wind turbines. I feel like wind turbines, you know, they generate enough noise and then they just... Oh, wow. I think you and I are definitely getting a little creative with the... I think so. The vest. <laughs> what do you think the government actions that they were making were? Because they like, talked about gas. What was the government doing? Like, they talked about gas. They talked I, about fires, aircraft. I think they were just trying to do whatever to like to be like, yeah, we're trying to help you guys. We're trying to protect you guys. But they know just as much as everyone else, which is nothing. So I think they were trying to, you know, kind of incorporate and see like, okay, will this work? Will this work? Like trial by error. But in reality, nothing's working. Here's the problem, and this is going to sound terrible because it is a terrible solution, is they waited too long to act. What they needed to do was nuke Moldova before they got out of there. Yeah. But then you also run the risk of what if the Vesps could survive a nuclear attack? And what if they mutated into something worse? And then at this point, it's just like not even, you know. So you can't contain them. They're everywhere now. Right. You would literally have to bomb Europe at this point. At what stage of the infestation would you like to be in? At what stage would I what to be in? At what stage of the infestation would you have liked, like location-wise, would you have liked to be at the beginning of the infestation or closer to where Allie and her family are, where they got away I long think enough? Where Allie and her family are is simply because if it was at the beginning, you have no idea any information about what these things are at this point where Allie and her family are they know how they mutate they know how they breathe they know what they're looking for how they hunt so they have all of the basic information to kind of help them get by and then at that point they're a little bit farther away where they can start like okay if they had left a little bit earlier let's say and they weren't gridlocked and they didn't have to do all those you know cutting through maybe they'd be where they needed to be at this point but it's also like would they have just stayed at home because can a vest enter the house like that's what i like my whole thing was like how are they gonna get in yeah it's like how strong are they and the thing about europe is a lot of buildings are literally made out of concrete Mm -hmm. it's not like america where it's like plywood drywall right i think if i could make the situation be where i'm at with ali's family knowing all the information but having chosen to stay home at this point it's like you're still home yeah but it's would you have been able to survive like how much food do you have in your house well they don't have any food right now they have like some tins so it's like not much different but it's like do they have a basement would they have like obviously an enclosed shelter would have been the ideal situation but it's also too like sorry not to cut you off but like i was thinking about it i was like they're walking outside they could have easily opened their house to their back door 
like or at the backyard and like started planting stuff like if they wanted to like start sustaining looking at it I think they probably would have stayed they should have stayed home but then we wouldn't really have had a book I disagree you could have made a survival situation like if they had stayed at Glenn's farm I honestly think that would have been mm -hmm. the best choice um the only thing is like with the livestock they're going to make noise so if we still have power do you just slaughter them all now and just like stockpile that Dave. yeah exactly and if Glenn had a basement, or do you start making a basement and then you start making this underground kind of bunker thing to be safe in? Right. Because I think honestly having the doomsday survival kit already is going to be an advantage, but also just having like a hard shelter at this point is also an advantage. But if it's me surviving in this situation, like even thinking about it now, maybe I'll change my mind at the end, but it's the same that I would, I thought when I was a teenager reading zombie apocalypse book, like it's not going to get better. Right. And it's like, well, it's do I want to suffer in survival mode or do I just fucking kill myself and all my pets so we don't have to suffer? It's like, or do I want to be in the beginning of this all happening and having most of the Vesps already swept by me so it's less of a problem? True. Last question. Do you think the family Sorry. will get more and more dehumanized as we uh, continue on in the book? Because we've already had one situation where... I think they were driving on the highway and some car just like veered off and like flipped and he was like, oh, they were, I think Kelly said probably on their phone, like not paying attention. Mm -hmm. And he was like, well, what if they just like fell asleep? Because they're going on at least two days without sleeping. Right. I think so. Because they're going to see a lot more stuff. They're going to see more dead bodies. They're going to become, I think they're going to become attuned to it. They're going to be like, oh, cool. Especially the younger children. Yeah, it's definitely going to happen. And this one's off the fly. At what point do you think communications with the outside world is going to get cut off? Is Allie going to lose charge on her iPad or? I've been thinking this the entire time. Like the amount of the amount of time that Allie and Jude have been on their iPads blows my mind. Because I'm like, you need to conserve all that. Plus you're, you're taking your charger, but electricity is only going to last so long. But that was the thing when they were in the car, they did have a power source. So like use away. But now... But now it's, it's different. I don't know. I think it's probably going to be like a week, maybe. And it's like, at what point are all like anemones going to be shut off? Because there's no way that we know that power can still get distributed or that mm -hmm. the water is going to keep going and stuff like that. Because it's all noise. Well, it's also it's like, at what point does the Internet still work? Right. Do you have any off the fly question you want to ask? Mm -mm. You feeling inspired? <laughs> No, I'm just excited to keep reading. Like, I'm I'm excited, but not excited. Because, like, one, I don't want it to end, but I the want dread. it to end. Yeah. Do you have any theories for what's going to happen going forward? Okay, so we've already lost two characters. I think we're, I think we might lose Lynn just because of her medication and her cancer. And she's trying very hard to make it through, but I don't think she's going to be able to. But I think they are going to find a place to stay, but it's going to have people in it. So they're going to have to learn how to live as a community. That's going too far. We don't have that much left in the book, unless it like time stops. I really don't think it's going to get that developed into. Oh, we're now going to establish a community. Maybe not establish. Like maybe it'll end with like, okay, we're at this community, or maybe they find a house and, and they're like, all right, this is now next. going to be our safe place. Right. The problem with this is that unless they solve the, the Vesp problem, there is no end. It's why I stopped reading the Walking Dead series comic books. It's like, when does it stop? Some kind of conflict is going to arise either between, I want us between the kids and the parents or Lynn and the parents. I don't really think Kelly and Hugh are going to fight about anything too big. Or there's going to be, like you said, some kind of outside party who comes in and is going to cause trouble for the family. You know, there's the climax of the book. So like there's going to be some kind of conflict. Right. I really hope we don't lose Jude because we, I feel like we he might be the last one to, that we lose. Like, I don't think he's going to, we're going to lose him. I don't think we're going to lose Allie or Hugh because they're the narrators. Mm -hmm. We might lose Hugh for not losing Allie. I hope not. <laughs> but yeah, that's all I had. I'm excited to keep reading. But yeah, so again, if you want to follow us, you can follow us on Instagram at bookswbitches. You can also DM us there, subscribe on Spotify or Apple Podcasts, wherever you listen to us at. And you can always email us if you want to critique us or give us new book suggestions at bookswbitches. The one is the I is a one at gmail.com. And we hope you enjoy it. And again, big shout out to my friend John, who suggested this book for me. Yay. Uh, we'll see you next time reading The Silence, 
uh, section three, chapter 17 to the end. Bye. Bye.